here with Pick Me, Choose Me, Podcast Me, Episode 4. So it's just me and Shelby today. Hello, everybody. Shay is on a hike today with her best friend who is going back to Europe for school. So she's having they're having a last hurrah before she has to go back. And the poor, poor girl has to live in France and study marine biology. I feel so terrible for her <laughs> heavy sarcasm. Yes. I think we've both had such crazy, busy weeks, camping, all this sort of stuff. I know I have had a crazy busy week because I took in three newborn kittens and I've been bottle feeding them every two hours. And this is why I chose not to go into veterinary school because I was so gung-ho for being a veterinarian for however many years. And then last night, one of them didn't make it. Gunner, he had kidney issues, and I literally like sat in the chair downstairs holding this baby kitten in my arms for like two hours, sobbing. I was like covered in like my Kleenexes and my tissues until he he passed away. But and I'm like, this is why I can't be a veterinarian. I can't do it. I get too attached. And at least with like medicine and like certain people do everything in their power to save people. Like, it doesn't matter that it's expensive surgery, or at least it's in free health care, too, in Canada, where, like, expensive surgeries are covered. People are going to go above and beyond to save people. And, like, when it comes to veterinary medicine, oftentimes the better option is just, like, euthanasia because people can't afford the expensive surgery or the expensive treatment. And sometimes it's not fair if the animal doesn't know what's going on. You can't communicate, like, what chemotherapy is, like... And that's a com- that's why I can't do veterinary. I'm way too soft. Sorry for bringing down the room, but that was like my stressful week. I put my heart and soul into these kittens. And then you can do everything right. And just like in, in medicine, sometimes it's just not enough. Yeah, so that was my stressful week. For those wondering, Shelby's just been sitting here the whole time making a really <laughs> sad face at Haley. I, I think I would be crying right now if I like, I'm like physically like out of tears. I don't know if I'm like capable of crying at this moment. Yeah, so I'm tired. Um, how is how's your week been? Crazy packing for camping and yeah, we're going away camping um out in the mountains for like a week. And I've also been like working full time this week. I wrote my final for stats this week. Busy, busy. I yeah. hate stats. We're moving on with life. <laughs> <laughs> and like spring courses all being online. Like I just finished my finals week too, and it's just been not fun. <laughs> yeah, finals week is not fun at the best of times. And then you mix in a little COVID working while you're technically supposed to be in school, Zoom lectures with professors that don't speak the same language as you. You know, it's just, it's great. It's a fun time. <laughs> well, now that we're done bringing down the room, uh, should, we, should we start with the episode? Yeah, you go um, for it. Episode four, No Man's Land. I want to talk a little bit about like house dynamics before we start breaking down like the different character storylines, because I think the house dynamics itself is a storyline itself when we open up and it's just chaos in this household. There is no privacy, no boundaries. And I'm a little bit frustrated with George. I will admit it. I don't get the whole like men not refusing to buy tampons. It's not like people are going to think that they're for you and 
why do you care so much about pe what people think anyways? They're probably just going to think, oh, that's nice. They're getting it for their girlfriend or they're getting it for their wife or blah, blah, blah. I don't get it. Especially for someone who is in surgical school, like, you know how the body works. So why are you like so worked up about this whole tampon situation? Oh, yeah. I've definitely had to buy like more embarrassing things like my Bernie's mountain dog puppy had to have surgery because he broke his leg. And I was told like to keep him from trying to like lick the stitches afterwards and all that sort of stuff to put hemorrhoid cream on it. So preparation age because it tastes bad. So it won't lick it and also like brings down the swelling and inflammation. Right. And I also couldn't find it in the store. So I also had to ask like a store employee where to find the hemorrhoid cream. <laughs> and I always had felt like, I'm like, it's not for me, but I'm like, I've had, come on. There's so many more embarrassing things you have to buy. And like for certain like medical procedures for women, like they make you buy like a pregnancy test like before. And I was like, come on, George, you can take a second to pick up tampons when you're already picking things up from the store. I don't get why people think it's emasculating. Be confident in your masculinity. So yeah, I think George is the ass in this situation. And I would be mad. I would be mad if he purposely didn't buy tampons and like, I got screwed over and I'm like, there's no tampons in this household. What am I supposed to do now? Yeah, he that would have pissed me off. <laughs> he deserved to fall in that shower. Like, it's one thing if you have a conversation about him not wanting to do it, but then him going to the store and purposefully not buying any, that would have been the last straw. I would have been like, you little shit. No. Go back there. Yeah, and if, it, if, and if it really, truly makes you that uncomfortable, which it shouldn't, then like, pick it up. Tell them, like, this is the last time. I'm not doing it, like, for now on. Just so you're not screwing them over. And tell them, like, listen, I'm genuinely uncomfortable with this. Don't make me do it again. Yeah. Don't screw them over. Don't be the bad guy, but, like, be honest. Yeah, exactly. And then at, like, 048, like, Meredith is looking at, like, the pictures with her parents. And they don't look like the actors that play her parents, like, at all. Did you look at that photo? I did. And it, it did not look like. No. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I think the mom's cast, I don't know if they cast Thatcher at that point, but I'm like, you'd think they'd at least like put a picture of the actress who plays the mom in like, or something like to. I know. I mean, technically we're only four episodes in, but still being that Ellis is already cast, how hard would it be to just like. Or at least cast someone who looks similar. Oh. Get it together, people. We get to the hospital, and at 2.02, I think that Bailey is the ultimate teacher. Also, I wanted to note that all the interns have their stethoscopes in their pockets, like how you talked about in episode one. Yes. I wouldn't have happy. noticed that unless you mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> Except at one point in the episode, I see a scene, oh, I think it was Christina, I didn't write this down, put it back in her pocket, but didn't wipe it down before she did so. Yeah, people also don't wash their hands when they go in and out of patient rooms. But, you know, I can't talk about that every <laughs> 30 seconds in every episode. So <laughs> 2.22, I got to say, I think my favorite quote in this episode comes from like when Alex is sexually harassing Izzy about her tattoo and asking what they do for that in the magazines. And my favorite quote is when Izzy responds, what do they do for the 666 on your skull? That was good. Honestly, the, just this episode, I can't wait to like delve more into Izzy because this was just like so, I want to say iconic. I know we say that a lot as I well. Know. But this was just 
Mm. I think my heart warm. I think this is my favorite Izzy Stevens episode of all times. Like when I think of like things I like about Izzy Stevens, this is the episode that I come to. Yeah. Because I'm like, good on you, girl. Good on you. At 2.59, we get Derek quizzing Meredith about her breakfast. And I think it's so freaking cute. Like, he's harassing her about her cold grilled cheese sandwich. I know. And he just wants to know what kind of cereal she likes eating. And it's just, like, so... I don't... It's... I just love it. Yeah, my boyfriend doesn't care that much about my breakfast. It's so wholesome. <laughs> like, I love you, Derek. <laughs> I like... Oh, man. Everybody deserves a Derek Shepherd. Everybody needs a Derek Shepherd. So do you have any, like, closing remarks on, like, our opening scenes or... Yeah. So this kind of falls into Christina, but also kind of falls into the intro. So we'll Perfect, because I wanted to talk about Yang first anyways. So we see Christina waking up her patient first thing in the morning. And she just, like, flips the switch all the way on super aggressively and storms in and just, like, starts asking her patient all these questions and... Her patient is like still sleeping and trying to wake up. And this is such a no, no. I literally spent a whole class talking about the proper way to wake a patient up in the morning because it could totally set up your relationship with that patient for the whole day and even like days to come. No one likes being woken up suddenly. So if you're sleeping and someone just flicks the light all the way on, I'm going to be super pissed off. Oh, me too. Like, that's why I hated, like, when I was in high school and my parents would wake me up and I'm like, let my alarm clock wake me up because I can do that. Instead, my mom would literally flick on the lights, light switch and yell, cock-a-doodle-doo, like, on the top of her lungs to wake me and my sister up. <laughs> and I would wake up so mad. And then, like, my mom and my sister didn't get why I was so grumpy in the morning. So I'm like, why do you think? <laughs> yeah, I hate it. Why do you so think? So your, pac- your patients are going to hate it. So what you do is most at least the hospitals I've been in, all of the rooms have a dimmer switch on their lights. So before rounds, I would go around to all my patient rooms and I would turn the light on just a little bit, like maybe half or a little bit less than half, walk around to each of my patients, you know, give them a little gentle nudge, like, okay, it's time to get up. I'm not going to do any of your morning assessments yet. I'll wait. I'll give you like, you know, five minutes and then I'll come back. And then you can give your patients a time to do anything they want to in the morning, like if they want to go and brush their teeth or wash their face or, you know, go to the bathroom and then they can get settled and ready to go before you come back and do your morning exams. Mm -hmm. That's what you do. It doesn't take long. If you go to eat, say you have 10 patients, you just quickly go each one of them. By the time you get to the end of your patient list, you can go back to the beginning and then do your morning assessment. And is this the same with the doctors doing their rounds in the morning? There's a big difference between the way that rounds are done in the U.S. and the way that rounds are done in Canada. So when I've been in the hospital, the nurses will kind of do their rounds first. Um, I love the air quotes that nobody else listening can see. (laughs) (laughs) Rounds. So when I'm in the hospital, what we do is we kind of just give an end of shift summary for the nurses that are coming in. So all of the nurses who are coming in in the morning, we start at seven. So we'd be there for like 630. And we just have like a brief conversation with all of the nurses who are working the night shift so that they can say if like, you know, there's any drastic changes from the patients overnight or, you know, that kind of stuff and everything else is in the chart. So if you want like a more in-depth 
patient analysis. You can just go to the charts. But we just kind of stay in the hallway, say this patient is in this room. This is how it went overnight. Everything looks good. Moving on. So you don't go into the patient room and talk with them. At least the nurses don't. The doctors will kind of go around to each patient room, but only if they're talking about like a specific thing. So it's not necessarily rounds as it is like their little interview because it doesn't all happen in the morning. It's just whenever the doctor can come see you, the doctor will come see you. In Canada, we do like a collaborative meeting. There's a word for it, but I can't think of it right now. <laughs> and um, they'll have like a nurse, OT, PT, the doctor, and like a bunch of other staff. And they'll all sit down in like a little boardroom and they'll talk about their patients so that they can talk about all of the different areas of care that the patient needs in order to like get better so they can like move to the home care kind of setting. So the doctor would be like, well, I think they need like these meds and this. And then, you know, OT would be like, well, if they're going to be in their house, they're going to need to install, you know, bars in the bathroom and this and this. And then the nurse will be like, well, I'll talk to them about, you know, this and that. And for those that don't know, OT, you're talking about occupational therapy? Yes. Yeah. Occupational therapy. And then PT is physical therapy for those of you who don't understand my jargon. (laughs) In the States, it's more similar to what you see in Grey's Anatomy, where everybody goes to the patient room and then they talk about the patient in front of the patient and stuff like that. And I think in some places in Canada, they want to start doing that a little bit more because it gives the patient a chance to talk about their own care. Because if everybody's talking about the patient while they're not there, it doesn't give the patient a chance to speak up if they agree or disagree about something that's being said about them. Yeah, I like that. Hey, I'm overly opinionated and I'd want to interject my opinion yeah. if they were talking about me. Because you don't always know, like, especially with like the OT, that would make sense if we were talking about like modifications that would need to be put in at home. How do they know the layout of this person's home or like what they can work with? And like, yeah. so the person might be like, well, actually, this is how my setup, how can we modify this to work for me? Yeah. And like that would still happen. It's just a little bit more jumbled because then each individual healthcare worker would have to go talk to the patient separately rather than everybody all talking to them at one time. But I guess it would be try. It'd be hard to coordinate eight medical staff in a tiny little room with four other patients to talk about something for half an hour. And I want to talk for a moment about Christina stealing the chart. And that is exactly why medical charts are now like online, because it's not a good thing to do. Like now it's not available for other medical personnel who also need this chart. The first time I was in the hospital, my nursing instructor said, you know, if you ever get a chance, go grab a patient chart so you can flip through it and see the layout of it and read through and get to know where to find information. And I was so scared because there's just like a little cart in the two carts in the hallway, one for each wing of your unit and all the charts are there. But the doctors and other nurses are always like, you know, going back and forth and grabbing the charts if they need to check up on something. And I was so scared that I would take a chart that someone would need. So I would just like take it and like read it in the hallway kind of and not like leave anywhere. And as soon as someone would start walking towards me, I'd be like, do you need the chart from patient and room, whatever? And they'd be like, no. And I was like, okay. And then keep flipping through it. I was so scared. Yeah. And I guess it's kind of similar to like when I was an MOA, so medical office assistant, is even the electronic charts is not more than one person could be logged in at a time. 
So if I needed to check something, because I was in charge of a lot of documentation of medical records, if the doctors were still in their offices, like typing on their patient files on their computer, I couldn't open it, but it would give me a notification of who is opening it. So if it was like something urgent where I was doing medical records and like the doctor needed to get into their records, they could just like message me and they'd be like, hey, I need you to like bump out for a second so I can type this thing in. And so I'm like, you can't do that with paper records because where are you going to find them? Like, So uh, yeah, so Yang is a tryhard. Like I'm a tryhard, but Christina Yang is the queen of tryhards. This is, this is something that bothers me. And I know we've repeated this so many times about these surgeons doing everything. That's everybody else's job. But why is Dr. Berg the attending for a non-surgical patient with liver failure? Even if there was a Whipple. It would not be Dr. Burke. It would be a general surgeon. My timeline like jumps <laughs> for Christina Yang. So I don't know if you have any comments before I move on to 2941. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was just going to say that when you have a patient, you need to know your audience because there's going to be a lot of patients out there who are nurses or medical professionals themselves, which is what you see in this episode, because Christina's patient is a nurse from the hospital that she is staying in. So yeah, you need to know your audience before you do or say things because if you try to like cheat your way through something, the patient's going to pick up on that and call you out. And it's going to be super awkward. And throwing it out there, nurses literally make the worst patients because they will second guess you every step of the way. So before you do something or say something that you're not supposed to, know your audience a different field but even when it comes to like hockey like I'm a referee like I'm a certified referee and I ref a lot of like midget like double a and like elite levels especially in the female side but I'm also a player and a coach and I am the most argumentative person when I get a penalty (laughs) or like when I'm coaching like I'm just like yeah I make literally the worst player when it comes to like penalties because I'm like no, 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 this is the technical thing of what I did and why this is a lot. And then just like, shut up and get in the box. (laughs) Shut up. I don't want to deal with you, especially if I'm playing in my home rink and they all know me because like they're technically my coworkers. I'm like, Haley, shut up. I'm not arguing with you. Get in the penalty box. (laughs) You definitely cross-checked her. At 2941, I love the reality check that Yang receives that sometimes the best thing to do for a patient is nothing. Surgery wouldn't improve Nurse Fallon's situation. And I love that we see this growth in just like such a snap moment. And Sandra Oh is such a good actress. You can see the realization dawn on her face as she's talking to Dr. Burke in the hallway where she's like, oh, are we just going to let her die? And all Burke does is look at her and then it clicks. And I love that moment. Yeah, it's a really good moment for Christina. They're few and far in between, but there's a lot at the beginning. You just got to pay attention and you can see it in Christina's eyes. Yeah, there's a lot of growth in Christina Yang this episode. And I love how she ends up caring for Nurse Fallon. I love the scene when she has trouble stopping CPR. Obviously, she's wrong in the situation because there's a DNR and she's not supposed to be doing CPR in the first place. But I love that we get to see this emotional side of her where she's not willing to let go. Whereas when we saw it in like the previous episode in Dead Baby Bike Race, she was like, nope, move on, unplug him, let's go. 
I have other patients to see. And we see just in one episode, the growth of her character, where she's like, no, I'm not willing to give up yet. We can't give up on her yet. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to be very critical of the interns in this episode, but they're still very new to the concept of letting people go Mm -hmm. in medicine. Mm -hmm. And obviously, she should have respected the DNR. But I feel sympathy, even though she did what she wasn't supposed to. And I think this is the first time in the series that we see Christina get very emotional over something. And I really hate to admit it, but I actually liked Burke in this episode. He taught the hard lessons. Yeah. And they had like a moment afterwards and it was just really good. I don't know, their little hug. And he was like still tough, but still comforting. Like, yeah. He still did the hard lessons, but he wasn't like cold and malicious towards Christina because she didn't follow the steps. Unlike when O'Malley messed up. Yeah, 100%. And then just going back to the DNR super quickly. So if somebody has a DNR in the hospital, you wouldn't call a code blue because obviously no resuscitation. But if you don't know that someone has a DNR, like if it's not your patient, you wouldn't know. So if you're in your if you're in the room helping them with something and then shit goes south and you start CPR, that's what you that's what you would do. If you don't know that they have a DNR, you would start CPR, but then someone would come in the room and say, hey, this patient has a DNR, stop. And then you would stop is kind of how that would go. I was just going to ask you a question because in Grey's Anatomy, you'll sometimes see they have like a piece of paper taped to the monitor saying DNR. Do they have that in Canada? Like how is, is that like a HIPAA violation? Like how does that work? Yeah, I think that's a HIPAA violation. So in the hospitals I've been at, they have it just written on the patient chart. And then that's one of the things that they talk about in the morning rounds for any new staff members, because at least again, in the pa- in the units I've worked at, you'll get like a little piece of paper and you can write down any, it's kind of like a little cheat sheet. So you don't have to keep checking their paperwork every five minutes. You can write down what their code status is. If they have any um, medical procedures happening at what times so you can make sure you're there to help, you know, transfer them and just like little things on a, like a little piece of paper. So that if anything happens, you don't have to run to their chart. And that's one of the things that you would write down. You would write down the code status of each of your patients. So that if something happened, you'd be able to just run in and be like, no, or yes, or whatever. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, talking about Meredith. already touched on how her exchange with McDreamy in the beginning is everything. But then we get to her and Alex assisting on the case in which there are nails in the patient's skull. And I guess George is on the case too. Um, He's kind of absentee in this episode other than being an ass for not buying tampons. I paused the episode to look at the x-rays of the nails in this guy's head. And like, I was kind of a little bit confused when I'm watching it because the storyline is he fell down the stairs with a nail gun. But you see like the nails like in the top and the back in his skull of his skull. Like how? Like if you fell with a nail gun, I could like see like them the entering side, in the or front. Like yeah. In the front. How did he get them like right in the back of his head? Did he like separate from his hand and he like landed on it? But then how would he squeeze the trigger? I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. It's like the spokes in the dude's abdomen from the episode before. How? That's I don't. True. I, I don't understand. And like CTs are down, so they can't get like a better view of it. And I love that Alex is actually the smart one for once, where he's like, we can't get a freaking MRI. Simple concepts are the ones that escape people. (laughs) 
I kind of liked the theme that was going on with Meredith in general this episode because you can see where her personal life is kind of interfering with everything. And we see like she's relating too much to the situation and inflicting her own feelings of her mother upon this situation and interfering where she shouldn't be. Meredith throughout the series is really good at catching cues in patient history. And I think that's Meredith's strength is attention to detail because we see her do the same thing later on is when that guy gets attacked by the bear she's like something's not right here and it clicks and she's really good with patient history and it's so important as a doctor and I think that's what makes her such a great surgeon later on in the series yeah I'm, I'm gonna touch on that because I agree with Haley she does a really good job and she's also asking all of the good questions. Like when a patient comes into the hospital for the first time, it's so important to take a good and full, complete medical history, even if it's for something that seems unrelated to the problem that they came in for, because you never know how things might be connected. And she's thinking about what caused him to fall rather than fixing what happened after he fell, which is really great. And actually brings me to my mnemonic of the episode. (laughs) So this mnemonic, um, it's called Sample. And it's kind of a way to follow along to make sure that you're not missing any important questions when you're taking a history from a patient. So it stands for symptoms, allergies, medications, past medical history, lifestyle slash last oral intake, events leading up to the illness slash injury. So it's lots of good points to make sure that you're asking a wide variety of questions about patients, not just about the symptoms that they came in for, but also, you know, like lifestyle aspects. So like, how much do you exercise? What do you eat? Blah, 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 blah. And this is something we even saw in episode one, where Meredith was the one that made the connection of Katie Bryce falling. And even though she like just lightly hit her head, if Meredith didn't make that connection, they might not have found that bleed. And that's something I give Meredith Gray absolute kudos for, is she is good on that aspect. In this episode, she's not great for removing herself emotionally because when discussing the prognosis for Jorge, because she knows how terrible it is firsthand to love someone, who doesn't remember you and love you back. So when she talks to Nurse Fallon, it must be relieving some sense about talking to her mother's Alzheimer's with someone who knew her well, because Nurse Fallon is the first person that she's told about her mother's Alzheimer's. I actually, I found that such a heartwarming scene is when you get to see them discuss where she's like, your mother doesn't forget anything. And you can just kind of see the irony and how it reads across Meredith's face in that episode. And the very honest conversation they have about Ellis Gray. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the episode that's so sad is because when Meredith goes to talk to her mother later in the episode, we see that Ellis doesn't remember Thatcher, who's Meredith's dad. And she doesn't even really remember Meredith at all. But she remembers Nurse Fallon, clear as day. Who is her scrub nurse? And like, just ouch. Ouch, like poor Meredith. Yeah, that's tough. I know it's really hard for families when you have a loved one going through what Ellis is going through. And I can see that because I work at a senior's home. You know, I spend every day with someone. So then they get to know me and they'll remember my name. 
and stuff like that. But when a family member can't come in to see their loved ones all the time, because, you know, life, sometimes their parents like might not remember certain things that, you know, their kids would hope that they would remember. And it's really sad. In my personal opinion, Alzheimer's is one of the most heartbreaking diseases that exists. Mm -hmm. That pretty much summarizes my notes for Meredith, other than her being overstepping and inappropriate talking to Jorge's wife. But do you have any other comments? No, I think that is all for me about Meredith. Yeah, and my notes for Alex um, overlap with my notes for Izzy, (laughs) pretty much. So shall we move on to Izzy slash Alex? I think we should. My first comment is about Alex asking George in the beginning about Izzy and Meredith walking around in their underwear. And it reminds me of at one point in the series, someone, I think it was Christina, describing Alex as a frat boy bitch. Because I've never heard a more accurate description of season one Alex. Yeah, it was spot on. And then Izzy. Let's talk about how Izzy woke up her patient. Because in general, like other than just waking him up, I think she handles her initial reaction to the patient refusing treatment quite well because the patient is obviously very uncomfortable with her in that room and leaving not to escalate the situation. And if you don't know how to handle it, then it was good for her to just leave, go talk to her superior because she doesn't know what to do in that situation. And I'd probably do the same as Izzy. If a patient reacted to me that way and I didn't know what to do, I'd leave and I'd go get my superior. Yeah, that was really good. I I agree with everything that you just said. Because it's really hard being in a situation where the patient does not want you in the room. And even though it's your job and you're supposed to, you know, talk through whatever's causing this problem or this tension with the patient, sometimes it is just easier to step out of the room, talk to someone else, kind of collect your thoughts and then figure out what you're going to say to the patient when you go back so that you're not saying something that you shouldn't. And I think this is another great teaching moment by Miranda Bailey, because she's very good at knowing how to be supportive, but also providing the tough love that's necessary in a situation. Mm -hmm. And I think Bailey does this really, really well in this episode. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk for a moment about the surgeon assigned to this case, because we get to see a surgeon, an attending surgeon, other than Burke and Shepard. But Mm -hmm. um, Limp Harry never (laughs) spares the nerves. And I believe that this is when a patient should be consulted. He should have had the choice between not sparing the nerves and having a higher chance of success in removing all of the cancer cells or sparing more nerves and a higher risk of cancer being left behind. And quality of life is also so huge in treatment. And this patient's bodily autonomy needs to be considered. And I must, I say, his body, his choice. He should have been consulted. Yeah. And I think that in reality, he would have been consulted. A procedure like this happening in real life, the patient 100% would have been given the choice between the two, unless they opened him up on the table and realized something crazy. But even then, they would probably just close him up and not even do the procedure at all if the cancer was worse than what they thought. Yeah, because they would need time to evaluate the situation and consult the patient. Exactly. So not realistic, but good for showing that Limperi is thumbs down. Mm -hmm. Because there are some, I hate to say it, some doctors and surgeons who do have that mindset. And they're just like, no, medicine first without thinking of the person on the table. 
too and what the person would want, even though it may not medically be the best choice. Before I talk about her personal conflict with Alex, I want to finish talking about Izzy with her patient. And I like how she addressed the attending and Bailey in that scene. It was emotionally impactful, I think. Ignoring all the realism and real-life implications of this conversation, but I love how you get such an intimate view of what the patient is going through when he's talking to her about he feels emasculated and how he doesn't want her to be a part of it because he's had thoughts about her before. And emasculation seems to be a theme in this episode because George is feeling emasculated by having to pick up tampons and this patient is feeling emasculated. It's talking about a lot in this episode is femininity and how it's seen in sometimes a very negative light, whether it's masculine to be seen buying feminine products or how you can't be smart and beautiful and a model and a doctor and how sometimes the patients will see you in a different light depending on who you are and your appearance. I like that you get to see such an intimate view of what the patient is going through because he's not doing it because he's an ass. He reacted the way he's did because he's undergoing a traumatic medical experience. And I think that she demonstrated outstanding patient advocacy by standing up for what her patient wanted in that operating room. And I understand that it can be challenging to oppose authorities. And by standing up for her patient, she also pushed Bailey to step up and challenge the attending to do the right thing. So uh, big kudos to Izzy Stevens for how she handled her patient this episode. It was really heartwarming because this was, again, like the one episode where you think really, really positively about Izzy and everything that she does. And with her patient care, you have to have these tough conversations with your patients because if they don't want you to be a part of their medical team, you can't just make that decision like willy-nilly. You can't just say, I don't want that doctor or I don't want that nurse. You have to have a reason if they're going to switch it around. And after they have this conversation and he expresses his feelings about why he didn't want her there, that was really good because you could see he had a reason for the way he was acting earlier on. And if that was, if I was Izzy Stevens, I would be like, thank you for opening up and telling me that and being vulnerable. And I appreciate you being honest and I will see if I can switch with someone else so that someone else could come in and take over for me. Yeah, because then she realizes, oh, this is a personal feeling of emasculation. It's not a personal belief that, oh, I don't want her to be my doctor because she's probably some dumb model. I don't want her in my surgery. He's just feeling so disheartened because he thinks he's going to be losing everything that makes him a man, even though that's not necessarily true because it's more than just your genitalia that makes you a man. Shall we talk about Izzy with Alex this episode? I mean, it can kind of be, (laughs) I guess, summed up. He's just an ass. Oh, yeah. He should definitely be written up or suspended for what he did to Izzy in this episode. This is so inappropriate and uncalled for and, like, beyond sexual harassment. But Izzy handles this amazingly. She's a queen, honestly, in this episode. Big feminist high five for Izzy Stevens. I loved her clapback that she has no debt. And I'm so proud of how she handles this. Oh, boobs, how does anybody practice medicine with these things around? And her self-confidence, like when she just strips down in the locker room in front of everybody, and she's just like, take a look, like, you want to see this? Here you go. Like, we're all humans. 
Yeah. Like, I would not have the self-confidence to do that. Yeah, she took a situation in which they were body shaming her and she took control of the situation and she flipped it back on them. She didn't let them shame her and I think that also gave her like the power wave she needed to deal with her patient. I loved everything Izzy Stevens did this episode. And I love that it caused George to have a realization too, where he's like, oh, I am the ass in this situation. And I like that he kind of tried to protect her from going into the locker room when he saw everything going on. Mm -hmm. We didn't see much George this episode, but we saw a smidgen of personal growth. Those are all my notes for this episode. I don't know. Those are all my notes too, man. I know, this is going to be a short episode. <laughs> okay, so in, in closing, do you want to uh, choose your person? I, I think it's pretty obvious who yeah, we're both going to choose. We'll probably just say our person at the same time. One, two, three. Izzy, Izzy Stevens. Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's any other option. Like, you have to choose Izzy in this episode. I never thought two of the four episodes so far that Izzy would be my person, but she takes the cake this episode by far. Oh, yes. Just the way that this episode was constructed and all of the stereotypes that it conquered with the whole like femininity thing. And usually like Miranda Bailey is the teacher and the one stepping up to make other people do the right thing. But it was Izzy who stepped up and made Miranda do the right thing this episode. And I think that's a powerful moment because it kind of turned the tables in a situation that we don't often see with Miranda Bailey. And Izzy was just fantastic. And I love the themes in this episode talking about feminism and masculinity and femininity and how it shouldn't be defined in certain little boxes and categories Mm -hmm. and how people shouldn't be judged on it and how people should have their own choices and their bodily autonomy and it's such a powerful episode I was really excited to cover this episode and break it down this is honestly one of my favorite episodes just because of everything that happens it's just so good And I always get so pumped up in the Izzy standing up to Alex scene while you're drowning in your student loans. I am out of debt. Like, and that is such a perfect note to finish off her like clap back to Alex. She's like, you can make fun of me for being a model all you want, but who's the real winner here? That's all my comments for this episode. Yeah, we summed it all up. We want you to pick me, choose me, podcast me. Because it is a beautiful day to podcast. Mm -hmm.